data-driven podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Yesterday, Esther and I discussed metrics to measure the return on investment for L&D programs. Today, we're going to discuss how to measure your diversity inclusion initiatives. Here's my conversation with Esther Lee, VP of Global L&D at McCann World Group. Esther, thanks for joining us again today on the Data-Driven Podcast. It's my pleasure to be here again. So to kick us off, we're talking about diversity and inclusion initiatives. We'll use the acronym DEI from here on out to describe it. So with these DEI uh, initiatives, what are some of the big goals that organizations are looking to achieve? Really, I think most companies are trying to change their talent pipelines, create a belonging culture for their people, and better suit themselves to have the right sort of employee makeup. But really, all of those things should speak to changing your culture. And how do you change culture? It's not overnight. It takes many years. And all the right buy-in from all your stakeholders, especially leadership. So if we're talking about the largest goal, it really should be for every company. I want to change our culture, whether you think it's amazing already or not, you're trying to change culture with DEI. Can you tell us about some of the gaps that organizations are looking to close with DEI? So where they are now in terms of their culture and where they'd like to get to? I love this question because Every company needs to look at where they are now and set metrics to be accountable for where they want to get to after. So looking at things like finding the policies that are in place, right? Who is and when are they getting promoted? Um, Looking at the talent pipeline, what is the makeup of our talent pipeline and uh, what is the diversity makeup? Where are we actually you know, acquiring our talent from. Also looking at different levels, at each levels of employees, what is the makeup when it comes to diversity, um, whether it's gender or racial, even religious and uh, geographic location, which both of those things often get overlooked. Um, We need to look at really what the makeup of that company is before we start saying, let's bring in speakers and create ERGs and hoorah. Esther, tell us about some of the most useful metrics that we can use to measure the impact of DEI initiatives. Yes, there are some obvious ones and so and and not so obvious ones. So some of the really foundational DEI metrics could be things like demographic groups, whether it's gender, race, ethnicity, age, disability, right? There's promotion rates, like I mentioned before. There's involuntary and voluntary turnover and exit interviews that showcase why they were leaving the company, what the sentiment is across the diverse demographics, whether they believe that they have a career trajectory at the company, what their belonging sentiment is, what the ENPS is for the employees. You can 
look at all of those. You can also take a look at the pay gap between gender and race or even look at the participation rates if certain demographics are not participating as much in certain training that are nice to have or even ERGs if you have them set up. There's performance metrics that you can look at and manager review metrics, right? Are there bias in managers assessing their people? So there's a lot there that we can work with that are really foundational. Something that I've also seen work really well is actually putting together a DEIB scorecard in and of itself away from just doing a regular annual pulse. Oh, sorry. What's the B? What does the B stand for in DEIB? B is belonging. Something that I've seen work really well at a company and McCann World Group actually does this well, is create a DEI scorecard that's separate from the annual pulse surveys so that employees are in the mindset of, I am going to provide my honest truth and give my metrics on DEI for the company. Um, I will say with a caveat that I currently don't work under the DEI team at McCann World Group, but I've been here long enough for seven months to go through this one big day that we celebrate DEI for and have taken the DEI survey and felt that I could tell that this company is really, really keen on making sure that people feel belonged and that we really care about diversity and inclusion here. So those are some ways that you can kind of separate the two so that it doesn't feel like I'm answering hundreds of questions just to give you a pulse on how I'm doing at this company, but you're really dedicating a resource to DEI. Okay. So we've, in terms of metrics, if I was to split it into two broad categories, it sounds like there's the things we can objectively measure, to use a really simple example, what percentage of women do we have in leadership roles, for example? But then there's these more subjective measures where we have to ask people questions that get to things like belonging. So we're asking people, is it questions like, do you feel supported in your role by your manager? Do you feel a sense of belonging in this company? Yes, I think those are really great ways to categorize the two. Okay, cool. And so we've, we've got a range of metrics there. And now the most interesting part, in my opinion, how do we use those metrics and how do we actually measure them and then translate that to being able to say, is this program or is this particular intervention or initiative successful? I love that question. And in my years of experience in initiating DEI programs at different sorts of companies and industries, I really feel that employees need to feel belonged to their team first before they even think about what the company culture is. I'm sure you've heard that quote, people leave their managers, not their jobs. And that comes in really handy because if you think about it, the company could do amazing things, bring in the most renowned speakers on the topic and create ERGs for you and tell you that we care about your wellness. But if you have the worst manager in that company, you're never going to feel that. And so to me, manager training is absolute number one, especially the frontline managers who have access to leaders above them to help them change their culture, but also below them um, so that they're creating that culture of belonging. 
And I actually recently read this amazing book called Anti-Racist Leadership by James White. Um, he was the CEO of Jamba Juice for a long time. And he also has a chapter around justice, about why it's so important to target frontline managers, because they are really the key in changing our culture the fastest. And how do we do it? This sounds, this sounds really challenging. I'd love to learn more. <laughs> In my previous role, I actually had an L&D manager dedicated to building a manager and leadership training. And so on a biweekly basis, every manager was invited and they could come if they felt the topic was compelling to just get training on how to really manage and your team and be a great leader. Now, our turnout always got better over time because the impact was huge. Um, some of the things that we taught were giving honest feedback, you know, asking your employee what types of recognition they would like, what their favorite method of communication is so that they don't feel like they're being called out in meetings or certain people are better with email as opposed to verbal. And so just making sure that you're including all types of employees, no matter what the setting is. And so setting that foundation was re really important. But the key thing, and again, referring back to that book that I mentioned by White, the key thing is really around empathy and kindness. If a manager cares about you, she or he is not going to give you that pushback if you raise your hand to say, hey, I feel a certain way or I feel that we can improve this way or another. Um, and so really leading with empathy and kindness is going to be important. And that's actually a, something that people need to get trained on as if it's a hard skill. And it needs to be measured from the employees who report into these managers. If the company continues to say, you know, we care about you, we want to promote you, and we want to make sure that you feel that there's pay equity, and I want you to be able to see yourself becoming a leader here in the next three to five years, the manager has to be bought into that. And if there is some sort of bias or discrepancy in that, it's not going to work. And so training people to really care for your people in a genuine way I really care about your career. And even if that means you might want to jump ship because we're not providing the right role, understand that and have that open conversation so then we can create that right role for that person. Otherwise, we're going to be losing talent to people in other companies um, and just without the chance and opportunity to even have that conversation to begin with. Okay, this makes so much sense to me focusing on the line managers that people work with every day and creating a safe environment, a sense of belonging at that level, as opposed to some corporate monolith saying, hey, we care about you, we support DEI, etc." Just makes so much sense to me in terms of how we measure it. It sounds like there's a little bit of linkage back to what we discussed with training. And I, I understand it's, it's mentoring and coaching managers as well as just training. How do we show whether it's worked or not, are our managers getting better at supporting our people and creating this sense of belonging? I love your questions, especially this one, because we need to show ROI on whether this sort of training is working. And I mentioned earlier that these soft skills, empathy and kindness need, be, need to be measured like a hard skill. And that's exactly why. So if we're teaching how to provide psychologically safe environments, 
from the manager's perspective to employees, then we need to ask the employees that real raw question of, do you feel psychological safety with your manager? And check that. And we need to make it anonymous and a safe place to do so. And that needs to go with the culture that you're building for employees to be able to speak up. When you do manager training, you need to do inclusive language, the recognition culture, even onboarding, setting that tone from day one to say, I am here to be your leader and your advocate and your champion, not to check up on your work and to keep tabs of what you're doing. Um, And that's going to be really important. But in order to showcase that impact of the training, you need to show how the employees are feeling beyond that training as well and over time. Uh, There's also a little component of change management because there's a lot of movement happening in all the companies currently. And so some managers are very transparent while others might not. Um, And so measuring the not just the belonging but feeling like you have that visibility into the changes that are happening is going to be really important for you to measure from the employee perspective the manager also needs to assess themselves as well as just the culture themselves Um, are people coming to you with more feedback have you ever gotten negative feedback and actually to me if you've ever received negative feedback as a manager that's a great thing that means your employee felt like they could be honest with you and open with you and trusted you to get that feedback as opposed to if a manager tells me everybody loves me all the time and they give me only positive feedback that's actually a flag to me and so having that conversation and teaching them how to measure their effectiveness of manager uh, or being a manager, I should say, is going to be really important. Now, take all of those numbers, showcase it to your leadership to say, here's how we're changing our culture and here's how much more employees feel belonged and psychologically safe because we did these trainings. Now, to collect that information from employees where they're evaluating essentially their managers and they're describing how they feel, potentially sharing things that are quite personal. Is that, do you generally collect that in a way that's anonymous or pseudo anonymous? I've actually used a tool um, in the past called Office Lives, and that's just one of many, many platforms that do something like this. A, a quick pulse, if you will, of whatever question that HR wants to focus that week. Um, there's other tools like Perceptics and Qualtrics and Culture Monkey, which are all really great from what I hear. Um, but what that does is it, one, shows which employees are actually engaging. So what percentage of this manager's employee group is putting their assessment numbers in, that says a lot, whether they feel like they can trust the system and they feel honest enough to actually participate in the survey is a huge number to look at. Secondly, because it's anonymous, people are putting in a lot of great qualitative data as well. And you can tell a lot from what they're doing in there because there's also a spot where you can recognize each other and you can see which teams are sending each other kudos the most or actually you know saying things to their managers whether it's feedback or questions and you can really track that from the HR perspective to say really this team 
has the best culture because they're constantly rewarding each other and recognizing each other for their work instead of trying to be the star of the show and get that recognition from their manager. So there's a lot there that we can uncover as well. But I would say making it anonymous is key. Now, I will add on that there's other ways if, you know, that's still budget. So there's other ways that we can make this a little bit less expensive, which is teaching managers to use their weekly check-ins with their employees to do all this work. I used to have a template for managers to use for their one-on-ones, and it was around, you know, how are you feeling this week stress-wise? Um, are we tracking towards your goals? Any positive or negative feedback for me that I need to work on for the next week? And that box always existed every single week. And employees can go in there and fill that out. And in their one-on-ones, it's not about, you know, what did you get done this week? But we start with those three boxes of let's have an honest conversation and teaching managers to have that conversation so that they can bring that to us and give us feedback on, hey, this isn't working for me, what do I do? Or that was really great. Thank you for training me on that. And it's really helping my culture. Is that just a checklist for them? Or would you collect the data? I never collected the data just because I felt like that was keeping tabs on the managers and their culture. But often managers shared it with me not a full set of data, if you will, but they would come to me whenever there was a flag. Like I got this feedback three times in a row from three different employees. How do I address this? Or just giving me feedback on this template really worked really well for my one-on-ones. And here's how I would like to be a champion in making sure that other managers use it too. Okay. And last question. Uh, it sounds like best practice when we're asking how people feel at work, do they feel a sense of belonging, things like that. We want to keep it anonymous. Is there some way that we can still tie that to demographic data? So you can't see who the participant is and their name, but we can see some of the demographic data as well as the sentiment. Yes, there are definitely tools that allow you to do that. Like I said, the platforms I mentioned earlier, like Office Vibes or Perceptics, Qualtrics, they can take in assessments and anonymize it in a way that you still get to keep some of that demographic data. But if I'm being honest, the best way to keep track of how the demographics are doing and feeling in a company is through ERGs, employee resource groups. Set those up you know, usually people are really bought in to feel their belonging in the groups that they feel represent them the best. So for example, for me, if there is an AAPI group, I'll always join that because that's where I feel strongest in my identity. Or I can join like a female women group or something like that as well. Um, but depending on what your demographics are, setting these up and making sure that you're including every single group is really important. And then in there, allowing them to have that conversation and um, allowing for a place where those groups can flag things to HR to say, here's something that came up in the group and still keep it anonymous, but it comes from that group so that you're aware of some of the exclusivity or unbelonging that they might be feeling. Okay. So this is a group that meets and has a discussion. 
And then they can choose to feed some of that information to HR if they want. Absolutely. And there needs to be structure. You know, it can't just be, let's meet on a monthly basis and do cocktail hour. Those are great to socialize, but there needs to be some cadence to HR presence to, even if it's, you know, giving them that structure and leaving the room so that they can have open, honest conversation. Um, there needs to be some structure so that it's maybe every other month it feels light and casual and it is social, but then every other month that are off cadence, you really want to talk about, you know, do we actually feel belonged? When were we not feeling represented? What are some things that the company can do to make you feel more belonged here? Or what are some, who are some speakers that you would like to bring in who actually represent your group so that you feel heard? So there's a lot of questions that you can build in as a structure and get a lot of information from those groups. So utilize them, utilize your people. Robert, this is one of our favorite topics on the Data Driven Podcast, reinforcing that data is not necessarily structured data in a spreadsheet. Some of the most valuable data we could get is stories, anecdotes, opinions, ideas that come out of these kind of discussion groups, like an employee resource group. Absolutely. And the powerful impact that they are going to feel once they raise that and there's action taken based on their input is going to be so huge. They're going to feel loyal to the company. They're going to feel belonged. They're going to feel heard. And that's what you want, right? And we started the podcast off with talking about we're trying to change culture here. That's how you change culture. You listen to them and you take action on what you heard. Beautiful. I think that's a great way to round it out. Esther, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks to Esther Lee, VP of Global L&D at McCann World Group for joining us. If you'd like to contact Esther, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit her company website, mccannworldgroup.com. One link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes listening to this podcast, head over to Data Driven Pod, where we've got summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And of course, you can always reach out to me directly. My handle on Twitter is at Bohan Dominic. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data-driven inspiration in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed tomorrow. That's all for today. But until next time, remember, when it comes to data, less is more.